So today marks the beginning of the fall uh, ministry season that we have. Um, normally in church world, you kind of divide up the year into three parts. You've got, you know, roughly from September to Christmas, and then from January to eh, roughly till the end of school, so late May, early June, and then you have, you know, summertime. And, and so today marks the, the beginning of what we call fall ministry season, um, which usually typically means that all the kids, when they go from one class to another, they graduate up if they're changing classrooms, and we've got all kinds of craziness going on back in kids' ministry today, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and So here's the thing. When you go pick up your kids, or if you just see some of the kids' workers and they've got big um, Thrive Kids t-shirts on, just walk to them, up to them and go, God bless you. <laughs> Thanks for doing that, because it's, it's really awesome they choose to do that. One of which is my wife, so I'm probably going to take her out for lunch today. <laughs> so, you know, kind of a, trying to make sure that everyone's feeling loved and appreciated, because, you know, I, I don't think um, we realize this, but a full third of our congregation is back there. Yeah, that's huge. Um, believe it or not, that's, that's actually quite unusual for, for a church plant is to have that large of a kid's ministry. But the fact of the matter is, is it's just so vital if you're doing suburban types of ministry. And, and I'm so proud of our team back there and what they do. And, and so uh, they're, they're having a day today. It'll be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. So anyway. Uh, that being said, uh, because it's the beginning of a new season, um, I'm starting a new series. Some of you are going, thank God we're out of Acts finally. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I've really enjoyed that series, but it's time to, to pick up some, um, something else, something a little bit new. And over the last year, probably a little bit longer than that, but at least over the last year, some of you may have noticed that there's a recurring theme about the the presence of God, right? Have you, have you figured that out yet? We've been talking. Yeah, we're trying to chase after the presence of God, and um, we continue to find that theme bubbling up to the surface in the scriptures. And it's to the point now where I'm having a hard time not seeing it. And every time I open it up, I'm like, wait, man, there's a presence of God piece to this. And just realizing how important that is to actually have have that in a Christian life. And, and part of me just says, it's so obvious, it's almost like one of those, well, duh, and yet, and yet, I know that um, there are some questions that remain. And, and we, can, we can find it in the text over and over again, we can find this idea of the presence of God, and we understand why it's important, and I think all of us would, would agree to that, that effect, but the real question, the ones that remain is, how do I do that? Does that make sense? How do I experience that presence of God, not just on Sunday, um, but on more of a, a, a daily basis? How do we chase after the presence? How do we connect? And more, more specifically, I think, what can we do, right? It's, it's not just, well, how, but is it what are the specific things that we might be able to do to, to find and to, to just kind of rest in that presence of God, to be, to be with him. And here's the thing, is that faith, if it's real, um, at least in my mind, needs to be more than theory. The older I get, the more I realize that. And so it's best to include some type of skills that are involved with faith. 
And part of the reason why you come here on Sunday isn't just to feel good, although, you know, we want you to connect with God and we want you to feel good and we want you to be convicted of sin and we want you to live a holy life. And yes, we want all those. But part of the reason why you come here is to actually learn some, some skills that you can take and, and try on Monday through Saturday and, and see how they work out for you. And so we've had a couple of ways that we've, we've been doing this. So the first one, um, if you remember, back in January, I do this every January, I talk about having a theme for the year. And we just went back and revisited that idea in July. And so the thought is, is that, look, if, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, and I know that my, in my own life that there's this big gap between me and Jesus, then maybe I ought to check in with him to figure out what it is that he wants to work on to start narrowing that gap. Does this make sense? And we've talked about this before. But that's a skill that you have to learn about this idea of, of having that theme for the year and keeping it in front of you and being reminded of it and having a group of people around you to kind of help you do that. But the, the whole point to that, it's a skill that we can learn and that we can actually practice. And there are other methods that we mentioned. You know, I, I love, uh, for me, <laughs> I keep um, saying this, but if I've got something that I'm working on or if there's a particular passage of Scripture, I'll write it on my bathroom mirror with a, with a dry erase marker. Because when I get out of the shower, I'm going to see it, right? And I think keeping those ideas and those themes and those Scripture passages and those things that you think God's trying to, trying to teach you in front of you is a great skill to actually learn. Um, some of you know uh, that we have a little technique where you set an alarm to... to go off at periodic times during the day to help you remind you of things to more or less break the um uh what's what i mean it it breaks it breaks the habit of not paying attention to the fact that god is with us that god is present we just sang it god you know we are not alone right and yet we go through life forgetting that the maker and creator and the sustainer of the universe is right there with us and he even makes this promise to us. Remember, go therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. And you know, you know, and I will be with you until the end of the age. We forget that part. The part is the point is to that is that God is with us, and we have to we have to break that habit of forgetting. And so we have you know, different methods to do that. And so today, um, we're actually going to start a series that's focused on skills. Because I think Christians over the eons of time have figured out that distraction is very easy. That it's, it's a simple thing to forget and to be reminded that we're in the presence of God is a key component to any type of what we would call discipleship. And we've had 2,000 years of development that's a long time, and there are some things that have happened in the ancient church that continue on today that are going to help us with that. And so we're going to focus a little bit of attention on this, and this is typically called spiritual disciplines. But I don't know about you, but I don't like that word, disciplines, right? Uh, we've uh, kicked around a number of different ideas. Uh, one is spiritual practices, things that you can actually practice. Um, and so what we what we want to see happen is that you actually practice some of these things so they become a regular rhythm in your life. And so the, the title of the series is Rhythms. And we're dealing with these ideas of spiritual practices that become rhythms. Now here's the thing. There's a lot of them. 
And I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that you have to practice all of them all of the time. Because you actually have to earn a living and pay your bills, right? Uh, You're not going to go be um, uh, in a monastery or a nunnery or something along those lines. You know, you, you actually have to live your life, and we understand that. And so the idea here is to give you some, um, some options. Some of these are going to resonate with you, and some of them won't, and that's okay. The point is, is that we want you to be practicing something, something where you're getting into the presence of God uh, as, a, as a matter of discipline. Um, for me right now, that just happens to be journaling. That doesn't have, have to be you although I highly recommend it, but it's not the only way to do it. There are other ways to do it, and we're just trying to give you some skills and some options um, to think about that. But the idea here is to have this rhythm of regularly connecting with God in some way, shape, or form. And so the series has two essential features, and I want you to to understand this up front. I'll mention it again just uh, as, as the weeks go on, but I really want you to understand that there's two things that we're attempting to do here. You know, two features to this series. First of all, one of the things we've done is we've paired the, uh, uh, some of these practices together, okay? Um, so each Sunday when we talk about them, for the most part, we're going to talk about two practices that somehow go hand in hand. And the idea here is, is twofold, actually. First of all, um, that we, we think that they're related in some way, and so we can think about those practices a little more richly if we pair them together. It would be similar to, you know, those of you who, who like to go out for a fine dinner and you pair it with a fine wine, and, you know, there's certain ones that go with... For me, it's coffee. There's certain coffees that just go better with certain types of breakfast than others, and point is is that you pair those flavors together and it, it adds to some richness. And so we want to do that. And then the other thing is we just we can cover more. We can cover more of these skills together. So the first feature is that we paired many of these practices together. Um, secondly, uh, we're also inviting you to go a little bit deeper. And one of the things that we, we've recognized is, is that it's fine and good to have a convert, no, not really a conversation, but for, to preach on these and just say, hey, go with God and you know, pray that you all will practice some of these things. And so what we thought is, what if we gave an opportunity for people to dig a little bit deeper and and learn a little bit more in those practices that resonate with them? And so what we're inviting everybody to is a lab. Remember labs? Remember that? And some of you are like, oh, labs. No, 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 it's cool. Because part of labs is you get to experiment. That's where you actually got to, you know, dissect the fetal pig or whatever it was that you did in your biology class. Some of you think that's gross. Some of you think it's really cool. But the point is, is that we have, there's a reason to have labs is so that you can actually begin to work these things out in a controlled environment to see how it actually works out in practice. And so what we want to do is provide you with an opportunity to do a lab, Okay. So today at 4 o'clock over at Thrive Space, which is uh, 81st in Aspen, um, we're going to do a lab on today's. And we're going to do this every Sunday for the next, what, six weeks, James? So I'm preaching on these on Sunday morning, and then James is doing the deep dive in the lab um, uh, on Sunday afternoons from 4 until 5. And so we really want you to think about participating in those. And we recognize that, again, some of these practices are going to resonate with some people and others are going to resonate with other people, and that's okay. So you don't have to go to all of them if you don't find a whole lot of resonance. 
And we also are planning on videotaping these so that um, you know, we'll be able to offer them in case you can't make it that Sunday. That's okay, that's cool. We understand real life happens, right? So we wanna make the resource available to you because the content is what's important here. And so James will do this um, uh, deep dive. And what I would recommend is that if you're even remotely interested in, in it, talk to, to James, he's back there, wave your hand. There he is, uh, or you can talk to me and uh, we can get you registered online, or we can, you know, just plan for you to be there. Um, we kind of need to know if you need childcare so that we can provide that and, and have that all set up. But the, the point is, to all of this, take an hour to go a little bit deeper. And I understand it's Sunday afternoon. I get it. I, I, I know that. But it's your discipleship, right? I'm not trying to guilt you or anything, but I'm just trying to get you to think a little more deeply about these things. And so think about that, I'm participating uh, in this. If you, if you want to take your faith seriously, don't miss this kind of resource that we have available. So this week, um, we're going to start with the spiritual practice of study. Of study. And I think this is important for us, uh, not just as a church, but as individuals, to think in terms of study um, because God often speaks to us specifically through his word. Again, that's a duh statement, right? God speaks to us through his word. And yet, even though we know this, we don't really spend a whole lot of time in his word, do we? And remember, I do this for a living, and I'm saying, yeah, even me. Uh, the busyness of running a growing church uh, sometimes distracts. Um, plus, on top of it, I had a, a child go off to college, <sighs> and there's that, and I have an eight-year-old running around, and, uh, and then some of you know that we foster kittens. Lots of kittens. Ask me about them. I'd love to hook you up. <laughs> so, but the point, the point is, is that real life kind of comes along and, and we talk about this idea of going, oh yeah, God speaks through his word and it's like, when was the last time you heard him speak, right? And I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, but at the same time, let's deal with reality that real life occurs and distracts our attention and sometimes we forget that he speaks to us through his word. And here's the other piece of that puzzle. I believe that God speaks to us directly. That there are some times when certain thoughts and ideas and even the audible voice of God may break in and, and cause a certain um, um, uh, action to be in the front of my mind or just something that I need to learn. But here, here's the thing. Those words that he speaks to us will never contradict what's in his written word. So my question is this, how are you going to know? if you don't actually spend some time studying it. It's kind of important to be familiar with his words so that you can, you know, if you're hearing voices and it's telling you to do stuff that's contrary to, to God's word, you, you might want to talk to somebody about those voices, right? But at the same time, if you are sensing that God is speaking to you about something and it's lining up with his word, then you can have a certain amount of confidence in taking whatever that step is. Keep that in mind. So, it helps us, I think, understand why we believe certain things when we study. And so, study is the first spiritual practice, the first rhythm we'd like to get 
you involved in. Now, <clears throat> a little bit of uh, history, because that's kind of what I do, um, is that study was very important to Jewish culture. So we've inherited part of that in the Christian church. Um, it's crucial to Jewish life and, and to faith, and we see this throughout the, uh, the Old Testament. And in fact, I would even argue that it's very difficult to separate the idea of Jewish life and Jewish faith. Those two things were so intertwined, and we'll see why in a moment. Most um, boys, in particular, um, just because of the way the culture was set up um, or operated, most boys, by the time they were in their early teens, had the entire Pentateuch memorized. The entire first five books of the Bible memorized. Have you read Numbers? How about Leviticus? Right? Memorized. Because it was the law. It was the Torah. It was important. And um, if, if a student was particularly adept at the memorization and understanding of the law, uh, they would have the opportunity to go and study with a particular rabbi, a particular type of rabbi. And that was the highest honor, the highest calling that a Jewish man could have. Period. Bar none. To be a rabbi was to be honored both by God and by human beings in that sense. So being chosen to study with a rabbi was a big deal. And it's interesting is that um, you would have a student who would come and he would spend some time with the rabbi and the rabbi would often say to them, if they didn't cut the mustard, they would say, my yoke is too heavy for you. Did you ever hear somebody else say that? Use it in a little different way? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus was a rabbi. And he was saying to, to everyone, no, no, this is, this, is for, this is for all people. This isn't just for a select few. It's a big deal here. So you've got this Jewish culture of study being very important. And, and by the way, this is also the reason why Peter, James, and John, remember the fishermen? Why they left their nets and followed Jesus. And more importantly, why their fathers left them. Jesus is a wandering rabbi, and he's teaching, and he's a miracle worker. And most of these men, the reason why they were fishing is they didn't cut the mustard when it came to memorizing Torah and understanding that. And Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And they're like, wait, I, I, I get a second shot at this? Yes. And, you know, sometimes we, we, we try to make this, like, this kind of like, well, they just had the call of God in their life and they just dropped their nets. No, 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 no. You don't understand. Culturally, they were being given the highest honor that a Jewish male could be given. And their fathers would say, go, this is what we want for you. And so they dropped their nets and they left and they followed Jesus. Why? Because they were following a rabbi. Somebody who would teach them how to study the Torah and to live it out. This is an important feature to it. Now, all of this started at Mount Sinai. Remember that? So we've got all of Israel being enslaved in Egypt. Moses comes along. And if you remember Charlton Heston, let my people go. And so they go out and they end up at Mount Sinai. And there they create a relationship with one another. This picture of almost a marriage between the two. 
And they're given these commandments. It's kind of the centerpiece of the law, the Torah, the thing that would define them as a people, as God's people. And I will be your God and you will be my people. And it it defined that relationship. In fact, if we went to a Jewish synagogue today, you would most likely hear about something related to Mount Sinai. Because it's that seminal of a moment inside that culture and inside that religion. It's important. And so one of the things that we find is in Deuteronomy. Here it is in chapter 11. God says to his people, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be a, a, as frontlets between your ears. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Study's kind of important, don't you think? Including the repetition of it. Are you talking about these things? One of my favorite things to do with my kids, and, and you, know, you, you may have some different techniques too, is that whenever, you know, Sunday morning if they're here or um, with Eliana when she's back in kids ministry, one of the first questions like, what'd you learn today? That's kind of one of my ways of getting at this. What'd you actually learn? And you know what? Uh, some of you know my Elizabeth likes to draw, <laughs> right? And she says it, it helps her concentrate. And I'm like, all right, what'd you learn? <laughs> I want to make sure that you're actually, and she'll, she'll tell me, you know, something that she learned that day. Okay, good. But it's one of the ways that we're trying to talk about some of these things. You know, what did you hear different today? What struck you as odd? And, or my favorite, what didn't you like about what you learned? That's a good one. It's a great way to begin conversation. But the idea here is that the word is supposed to permeate the family. It's supposed to, to soak it in and, and to become part of, of what they do. Now, I think the New Testament writer Paul, who is well-versed in Scripture, uh, Pharisee among Pharisees, remember we just learned that a couple weeks ago? Yeah, Um, I think he had this idea in mind when he wrote a particular uh, letter um, to the Colossians, this church um, gathered in in this Greek city. Here's what he says in chapter 3. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the, what's the word? Word, right, of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So you have to allow the word of God to, what's the word there? Dwell richly. Well, how how is he going to do that if you're not studying it? You know, just hopeful? You you actually have to um, be active in that. And Paul later encourages a young pastor in 2 Timothy He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. (laughs) That's good, isn't it? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God and women may be complete, equipped for every good work. So there's almost this notion, at least in my mind, is that if you you want to be equipped for good work, you kind of have to have that sort of scriptural point, reference point. Does this make sense? I think this is important. This is one of the reasons why I think study becomes such a big deal here. You can't do these things without having some working knowledge of what God has in mind. 
And of course, there's other passages that underscore all of this study too. And so the question comes then, how? How do we actually do this study? And so I wanna offer a couple of thoughts here. Um, some, I'm gonna call them levels of study. Mm, I'm not sure I like that, but it's the best that I could come up with at this point. And uh, this is where um, how you actually study, ways that you can study is what, what James is gonna cover in his uh, lab this afternoon. So uh, if this whets your appetite, cool. Um, you can go and you can uh, understand a little more deeply um, with James um, in the lab. So let me offer a couple of thoughts. So levels of study. So the first level of study, you ready for this? Because this is going to shock you. How about you just read it? <laughs> just read it. <laughs> That's a great way to begin studying. Um, I think this is the most important piece. Just read. Read something. Read your Bible. And, and, and trust that the Spirit's going to teach you something about it. My wife um, does this practice usually every October because there's 31 days in October. And what she'll do is she, she takes the Proverbs because there's 31 Proverbs and she reads one chapter a night. Um, before she goes, goes to bed. And here's the beautiful part of that. If you miss one, guess what? <laughs> you can start again tomorrow. It's fine. Uh, or if you're falling asleep in the middle of that passage, that's okay. Um, Jesus understands you're tired, and he wants you to go to sleep. But, you know, the next, the next day, you can pick that up and continue to go. Um, it's simple. But if you, if you create a rhythm around it, you're getting that word into your heart and into your mind, and it allows you to pay close attention to what God's doing. You're connecting with God on some level. So here's the thing. Just read it <laughs> to start with. Just read it. Secondly, is to read it devotionally. Um, there's a variety of different ways to do this. But one of the things that you can do is when you approach the Word and you open it up, you can just simply say, what does the Word of God have for me today? I want, you know, what, what's going on here? I mean, one of the things that I suggest you do is that as you're reading through, read until something jumps out of the page. Now, here's the thing. Some people will do this, and you're never supposed to do this. Just crack open the Bible and start reading. You're not supposed to do that, and yet every single time I do that, I finally learn something, you know? I mean, something will come out and jump out the page. Because the point is, is not the methodology, but the fact that I'm trusting the Spirit to illuminate something in the text, right? And so read until something jumps out at you. And I'm guessing that if you're living a real life and the Word of God is breathed out for our benefit, you're going to find something in that. Okay? So read it devotionally. Open it up and say, huh, where's the word God I have for me today? And read until you recognize that God is speaking to you. <clears throat> the other way that you can do this is that you can buy a devotional. There's lots of them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, in fact, um, if you have a, a particular devotional book or a type of reading plan, uh, those can be very useful because um, somebody else has done some of the heavy lifting for you, and that's okay because you're getting the word inside of you. 
you're studying at some level. It may be different than the way somebody else studies. That's all right. Nobody's, there's no comparison here. There's no competition. There's just you being better today than you were yesterday. And so keep this in mind. It's perfectly acceptable to, uh, to find some type of a devotional that works for you. And by the way, we've got some resources along those lines. There are certain devotionals that we would recommend over others because they're written from a theological perspective and we have you know, the ones that we're partial to and we'd be happy to share those with you. Again, you can learn more about this. Come into the lab, four o'clock, okay? Third way is to read it inductively. Oh boy, now we're starting to get into something. Okay, so sometimes uh, you can have logic that you deduce. You have a series of principles and you come up with uh, a certain conclusion because you have deduced things from a series of principles. And if you remember math class and geometry, all of this is flooding back and you're like, ah, bad memory. Or if you're a math teacher, you're going, yes, he's finally talking about math on Sunday. So deduction is one of those things that you can do, but the other way of doing this is to do it inductively. And what that means is, is that the, the Bible itself has evidence in it. And so you're, you're reading it and you're trying to find what that author is actually trying to say. You're in, it's an in, inductive uh, way of doing it. You're drawing conclusions from the evidence that's already there in the text. And so, and so really what you're attempting to do is saying, okay, what's this author trying to communicate? Because if they spent significant time and expent, expense and energy trying to write you something, maybe they have something to say. And some of you heard me say this before, especially when we read the Gospels, these are not just random collections of Jesus' stories, but rather you have very sophisticated authors who have an agenda and they're trying to get something across to you. So too with Paul, so too with James, so too with Peter, and all of the New Testament writers in particular. Oh yeah, and by the way, there's also the Old Testament too. They're trying to communicate something. And so inductively, we're trying to ask ourselves very realistically, what is this author trying to say about God, about the nature of God and humanity and how those things come together? And so what you do is as you're reading it, you're observing and you're asking questions. Well, I notice that the author uses this word. I wonder why. What could that potentially mean? And then that opens up some, some discussion. By the way, this type of study requires a certain amount of training. And uh, at some point, we're probably going to offer an inductive Bible study class so you can learn how to do this. Um, if you went to school at um, one of the, uh, either like Oklahoma Wesleyan or MACU, um, Mid-America Christian University in Oklahoma City, or any one of the other Wesleyan colleges, you probably learned how to do this. Uh, the epicenter was Asbury Theological Seminary, and most of the professors at those uh, types of schools all trained at Asbury, and so we all learned a particular way of doing inductive Bible study, and it's just a really great way to understand Scripture. So um, some of this you, you may have heard. So read it inductively. Third is to read it exegetically. Ah, oh, there's a $5 word, isn't there? Exegetically. Some of you are like, oh, man. So let me explain exegesis means to draw meaning out of the text as opposed to eisegesis which is to read meaning into the text right so exegesis is to to learn what that text is saying and to draw some meaning out from it this requires a great deal of training because not only are you reading it inductively but you're going into a much 
deeper understanding of the text. And that involves language, Greek, Hebrew, some Aramaic, some other languages, and historical context. And this is important because none of the scriptures were written in a vacuum. None of them. And sometimes we treat them that way, and they're not. And as soon as we divorce those particular passages from their historical context, we end up with some really weird theology. And so it's imperative that we, we try to do our best. And that's one of the things that you know, I try to do every Sunday morning is to try to give you some historical and some language context so that we don't end up in goofy theological places. Okay, So keep that in mind. We want to try to read this exegetically. And by the way, this requires a significant amount of training. But you can see the progression here. The bottom line here is I can't do exegesis if I don't read it. And frankly, it's hard to do exegesis when I am not reading devotionally myself. To not think in terms of, oh, what am I going to preach on Sunday? But rather approach and go, what's the word of God have for me today? Because before I am a preacher, I am a disciple of Jesus. Before you are a spouse, before you are a teacher, before you are a, um, you know, a bookkeeper or an accountant or whatever your job is, before you're that, you're a disciple of Jesus. So you have to read it and you have to read it devotionally. In other words, you get, you get the impression that I want you to read the Bible? Yes. I'm trying to study, at least at some level. And look, even though some of the stuff requires more training, here's the thing. Don't be impressed because you can look it up too. You can look this stuff up too. Happy to, to you know, point you towards some resources. And so we, what we want is for us to be literate uh, in, our, in our Bible, and that means that you have to read it regularly. You have to interact with it regularly. Um, and uh, uh, I'm trying to read myself little notes. James and I had a conversation yesterday, and I was taking so many notes that I had to read, write them sideways in my notes here. So if you see me, it looks a little odd. Um, James is going to kind of work through some of the stuff in the lab where he's going to talk about different ways of, of reading through things and, and devotionally and whatnot. I really recommend that you... Um, you go to that and dig a little bit deeper. And here's, here's the last thing I really want to say about study, at least for now. I think that this is important. Okay. Let's be gut level honest. Maybe in the past you've started um, some kind of Bible reading program or you started reading um, a devotional. Maybe when you graduated from college or from high school, you got Oswald Chambers' classic, My Utmost for His Highest, and it was written in a language you didn't understand, right? And maybe there's a part of you that are, you know, you're listening to this idea of study, and there's this piece in your head, and you're saying, oh yeah, I know that's important, but you know what? I've got a really bad track record. Don't let shame derail you. Because that's all it is. I'm not disciplined enough to do that. Doesn't matter. God's not moving. He likes when you read his word. He likes it. He wants you to do it. So if you miss today or tomorrow or even a week or a month from now, guess what? You can open the Bible again and get back on on track and every single time that you blow it 
He's still there. He still inhabits the word. So don't think that because you've got a bad track record that you can't continually connect with the Father because he still loves you and he still wants you to, to connect with him in this way. Very simply, don't let shame derail you from some type of spiritual practice. He doesn't think less of you. And those of you who have all this figured out and you're reading your Bible every single day and you're having your quiet time and you, and you have quiet time and you don't fall asleep, God bless you, but he doesn't love you more than everybody else. In fact, if you've got it all worked out, please pray for the rest of us because we need you. Okay? Now, here's a question. What should we pair with study? What will go along with study? What... What other spiritual practice can we put with this? Because um, I, think, I think this doesn't just stand on its own. Um, we could certainly do prayer, right? In fact, I would highly recommend that if you're going to read the Bible devotionally, you probably ought to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to speak to you through this. Okay, that's, that's important. Um, we could do meditation. We're going to talk about what meditation means in a couple weeks. I think that's important. Yes, that would be a great one. Community is another practice. And yes, that is a spiritual practice, being in community with other people. And your introverts are going, I don't know about this. It's okay. Community is an important piece of this because one of the things you do is you open the text up and you talk about it. And that's how you learn. And so community, yes, we can pair that. But how about one other word? How about submission? Oh, we don't like that word, do we? Yeah, I don't either. I don't like that word at all. Unfortunately, Jesus talked about this. Oh, he's going to step in it. Yep. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, follow me, be my disciple, let him deny himself. Oh, that sounds like fun. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now I want you to understand something. This passage is really important. It is in Matthew chapter 16. We as 21st century Christians who have heard the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus every single year since the time we were little kids, if you grew up in the church, will always read this in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But that doesn't happen for a few chapters later. This is Matthew 16. Jesus hadn't been to the cross yet. And so if you were in a group of people listening to Jesus talk about this, this would have been shocking. What do you, what do you mean, take up your cross? See, taking up your cross was a shameful thing. It was scandalous if you were crucified on a Roman cross. That means something was horribly, horribly wrong. Jesus, why are you even talking about this? This would have utterly shocked and appalled everybody who heard it. It would be the similar as if I had told you that uh, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to climb into the electric chair and sit there for a while. Why would you do that? Because you only do that if you're guilty, right? That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Is he saying, no, that there's a certain denial here. There's a certain submission. Does this make sense? It's really important that we understand, again, historical context here. John chapter 14 Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
you will submit to the things that I, that I told you. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with and, and will be within you. So if you love me, you're going to follow my commandments. And oh yeah, by the way, there's a benefit to it. You don't have to try to do it on your own. You're actually going to get some help with the Holy Spirit. Oh, and I'm very grateful for that. But perhaps my favorite passage, and you might be able to think of others, but my favorite passage is the one that you find in James chapter 4 because it's just so blunt. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Oh, I love that. I'll talk about that again in the future. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And look at this, bold letters. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Plain. Just, just submit. Look, it's going to be fine, Right? Just submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Just understand. Very blunt. Just, James does not mince words, ever. He just kind of gets right to the point. Submit. There's benefit to it. Just submit. And um, you get God's spirit in us. God will exalt us. It may or may, may not be immediate, but you know what? God's got you. And it seems to me that time and again, submission is tied to humility, which is interesting. Because I think we do have to humble ourselves in order to submit. God, you know better than I do, and so I'm going to try it your way. If you don't know his way, ask and study. See how this works? Oh yeah, one last little point about this. Let's talk about submission. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but it's okay. I've been in trouble before. When we talk about submission, that doesn't mean that everybody around you has to submit. It means you have to submit. You're not responsible for anybody else's submission. You're only responsible for your submission. So study and submit you first. Then we can worry about other people. You get it right in your heart first, then we can start talking about others. Start with yourself first because you can't control anyone else, but you do have some control over yourself. So if you're going to submit, don't expect everybody else to submit, you, you first. And so here's the main idea, and this is the thing that I really want you to, to think about. Why study if you won't submit? Francis Chan pointed this out. Um, Pastor James brought this to my attention. I think this is a great, great thing for us to, to pair these together. Why would you study if you're not going to submit? Is it just an academic exercise? I mean, is it just something that we do intellectually and go, oh, yes, I know all these things? And look, you know, knowledge is, is, is fine. But here's the thing, I wonder if God sometimes doesn't teach us new things until we submit to what we already know. Oh, it got quiet in here. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Sometimes I think, um, I had a friend of mine put it this way, we have a bunch of sermon-soaked saints. 
But the point of being soaked in the sermon and soaked in the word is to wring it out so that you can make room for more at some point. And so some, sometimes if we're not applying these things, if we're not actually absorbing these things and living them out, you know, God's waiting for you to submit to the first thing. Then he'll deal with some of the other stuff. Well, I just don't feel like, you know, my spiritual life's going anywhere. I feel like I plateaued. Hmm. Let's talk about the submission part. That's fun. Nobody wants to have that conversation. And I'm going to make this point just so that you're, you're clear and because I've talked to most of you. There are people in this congregation right now who have in their life been blessed because they have studied and they have submitted. And if you'd like to talk to them, I would be happy to connect you. But you need to understand that the blessing they receive, and they'll give the credit for it. They'll say, yes, this is what God asked us to do, but we still had some, some steps that we had to take, that we had to follow God, and we had to listen very carefully to the things that he was saying in order to actually receive that. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. And this morning as I was um, um, going over this, um, this happens every now and then. But as I was um, talking about this, I, I became keenly aware that one of the great enemies, and I've already mentioned it before, one of the great enemies to all this is shame. The, the difference, you've heard me say this before, guilt is when I'm remorseful for something that I've done, but shame is when I'm remorseful for who I am. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. In shame, I think, sometimes undermines our ability to follow what God is asking of us. Because shame is the little voice in your head that says, well, you're just going to screw it up, so why even try? Or, who do you think you are that you can do this? That's not the Holy Spirit talking. It's not. And I'm afraid that that's the voice that a lot of us hear. And it works itself in these really insidious and subtle ways I'm not a good enough parent. I'm not a good enough Christian. Shoot, I'm not even doing well as a spouse. Got quiet in here again. Because you've heard those, haven't you? We all have. And we need to call it out for what it is. That it is a lie from the pit of hell that tries to keep you from studying and submitting, from connecting, from being in the presence of God. In my experience, God doesn't say that kind of stuff. More often than not, I hear God saying, oh, David, I got so much, so much more for you. I got something better for you. Hey, let me show you. It's not the voice of shame. 
And let's say that it is true that you, you've, screwed, you've screwed some stuff up. He still loves you. I got a lot of stuff that I'm not proud of. And yet, the word, because I've studied it, says that I am chosen and I am adopted as a son of the living God. So I don't have to listen to the voice of shame. If shame wants to take that issue up, take it up with Jesus. I'm going to live into the destiny of being a child of the living and reigning God. That's where I'm going to start. And I don't get it right every time, and that's okay, because God still loves me, and he still chooses me, and he still chooses you too. There's this thing that we often read about in the Bible called grace. Remember that? Why is it that sometimes we feel like grace is for everybody else except for us? And the fact of the matter is, is if you're learning and you're growing and you're studying, you're going to need some grace. And you've got to learn how to give it to yourself. I think Jesus wants to free us from shame. And um, some of you, this is going to be a new concept, but my guess is that if you start paying attention to that voice of shame, you're going to see just how prevalent it is. And we want to learn how to replace that voice of shame with what God says about us in his word and what God speaks to us directly. And that's awfully hard. It's simple, but it's not easy. And yet I think that's exactly what God has called us to do. And that's why we do these things called spiritual disciplines because I need to resist the devil because he'll flee, right? That's what the word says. You know, we've got to resist that. But I need to study. I need to know what the word says about me and says about you in order to combat that because the voice of shame is always there, always us off the field of battle.